Show mercy. Show patience. Show grace. Show a slowness in your friendship and relationship. Don't get mad. Don't throw your hands up in the air. Don't walk away. Don't give up. But the scripture's like, for those that doubt, you show mercy. Welcome to The Green Room, a space where leaders from the Austin Stone invite college students to have vulnerable conversations about relevant topics. What's up, guys? My name is MJ, and in today's episode, Tyler and I sat down with our good friend and worship pastor of the Austin Stone, Aaron Ivey. I love this conversation because most of my Christian life has been struggling with doubt. And talking to Aaron, talking to you, this has been such a key part of my story because it's made me realize that doubts actually can fuel my faith. If I take them to God, I take them to his church, take them to his word. And so this conversation, hopefully for everybody, is going to be a reminder uh, that your doubts don't scare away God. Actually, your doubts push you to God in really, Mm. really unique ways. Yeah, and you're going to hear so many vulnerable stories from us about our own doubts that we've experienced even as we're church leaders. And we hope that you don't feel alone in your doubts and encouraged by the heart of Jesus for you specifically. Enjoy. Aaron Ivey, welcome to The Green Room, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. For those of you who don't know uh, who Aaron Ivey is, he is the pastor of worship here at the Austin Stone. And I'd love it if you would tell everyone who's listening a little bit about yourself and how you became that position here at the Stone. Yeah, okay. Well, I've been here uh, 13 years now, and I was living in Nashville, Tennessee. I was a part of a band that toured all the time. And there were a couple of years where we were on the road like 280 days a year. And actually, uh, one guy that's on staff right now was in that band with me. We met in college. Was it Bush? It was Stephen Bush, yep, who leads our story team. Yeah. We met in college, became really close friends, and started doing music together. We didn't know what we were doing, but we just fell in love with Jesus and wanted to use music and anything that we could, really, just to help people find Jesus because we— Met Jesus both in college, and he totally changed our lives. And so after college, we ended up moving to Nashville and doing ministry there and traveling a ton, but we were not a part of a church. We didn't have any home church. So I wasn't discipling anybody. I didn't have any grounding. I wasn't a part of like a local community at all. I was married to Jamie at the time, and we had had one kid. You know, starting a little bit later in that Nashville season, something brewing up in me, a deep conviction of... I'm a Christian. I'm telling people to follow Jesus. I'm using art and creativity to help point them to Jesus, but I'm not a part of any sort of sort of local body at all. Mm. I'm only in a van driving down the road uh, all these days of the year. And Jamie and I both just started sensing that the Lord was moving us towards like investing in the local church. And we didn't know where, we didn't know when, but Matt Carter was a friend of mine. Uh, He's the guy that helped plant this church a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, he and I were friends just from doing kind of things on the road together. And so I had this conversation with him, and he's like, man, we've got this baby church that's kind of just starting. Why don't you think about just coming here? And I didn't come for a job. I just came to be a part of a church. And so I quit the band thing. We ended up ending a record label like contract and all that kind of stuff just because we knew we needed community and needed to invest in a local church. So when I got here, the staff was super small. 
I did not have a job. I was not the worship pastor. I was just a part of the community. I would sit on the front row with Jamie. And we met downtown. I think it was like one service. And we just got healed up, like for real mm-hmm. healed up from cynicism, from skepticism about church. We just got like poured into by this local community. So mm-hmm. it's so easy for me to love this place because it has been a source of healing for my family. And then slowly, you know, the story over 12 years, 13 years, is it kind of just evolved into me becoming the pastor of worship throughout all those years of just serving and loving these people. Let's go, man. I I never knew that story. Yeah. That, that like, crazy? You, you just came here to be healed and just to be a part of what God was doing at the Austin Stone and not for a position Man, that's a big deal. I mean, there, was, I mean, there was a time where Aaron was just one of the worship leaders. He just yeah. served as one of the worship leaders wow. and like, I was, was one faithful of t- in that. Yeah, yeah, one of two. Yeah. And I can, uh, man, so many memories of Sundays of me personally being moved and growing in my faith just by hearing worship songs and hearing sermons. Yeah. And again, that's like way before any sort of job or even a sense of me being called to be a pastor. Yeah. I didn't really ever want to be a pastor. I kind of stumbled into it because I fell in love with Jesus and then fell in love with people. Mm. And so it just made a lot of sense that God was wiring me to be a pastor. So it's been a fun ride. Honestly, like I look at the team of uh, creative leaders here at the Stone, and I'm just floored that I get to work alongside them and shepherd them. Like biggest honor of my life. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Mm. Yeah, coolest job ever. When you've invested in so many of these people, I mean, I, you wouldn't say this, but part of we've gotten to this place because of how much you've believed in people and invested in people. And I think what's cool about even your story is how organic it is, right? Like you didn't come here for a position, but, and that's often how God works in people's lives. Like you, you go because you believe in something and then God will put it into whatever form he wants. And when you do because you believe something, it makes you more happy with the outcomes, because when you go for an outcome, then you have a specific thing in mind. If that doesn't happen, then I can't be happy. But if you go because you believe in something, your role is going to ebb and flow and change over the years. And it has. You know, your, your role has right. ebbed and flowed and changed over the years. What, it, what even pastor of worship means and how it expresses itself. And um, that's yeah. one of the things I've, I've always loved about you, even from the first I came to the Stone. I was thinking about the first time I met you was— I mean, because our orbits were so different because I was in college ministry and kind of doing that thing. And it's college ministry, Mitchell knows. It is its own little world in some ways. But the thing that you're always so – you're always so generous with your encouragement and with your time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's really established a culture, both the teams that you lead and our church as a whole, is the ways that you give away and is why I think it makes it easier for people to want to rally around the thing God's birthed in you because Thanks. it's mm-hmm. always been organic in that way. It's always been a belief yeah. – and that's what, that's what you and I have always related to is whatever the substance is, is what we care about and the forms it takes and the organization of it, that's right, fine. Right. It's needed, but it's right. it's about the substance of belief and zeal and faithfulness to Jesus. Yeah, um, man. So it's been cool to see it over the over the years progress and how, how it looks. Thanks for saying that. I appreciate that, yeah. man. I think about back when I was in college, I didn't have much aim or direction for my life. I got saved my freshman year of college. And so as a college student, you know, imagining like now who mm. I am, what I'm doing, oh, the, yeah. the people I get to work with, not even on the radar. Right. And you're right. It was, it was, there, there was no strategy. There was no plan for my life. There was no like somebody coming into my life and saying, here's the direction of your future. And you, so you should study this and do this. It really was super organic. It was mm-hmm. falling in love with Jesus, reading the Bible, being in community with people. And that's still today. Like people ask me, yeah. okay, you're 40 now. What's 50 going to look like? I have no idea. Right. I don't, I don't have a plan B. I'm just like trying to follow Jesus and getting to do that with people that are insanely awesome and yeah. pushing me towards him. So, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. 
Aaron is just an encourager. Yeah. I mean, if I had to if I had to give you like one word, and I wasn't planning on saying this at all, but I, I just remember flying in and visiting mm. the Austin Stone after I had accepted the job and we had that college night of worship ad hoc. I don't know, some, something something happened. I think maybe I uh, talked to uh, one of our student leaders or something like that. And I, I just remember Aaron texting me afterwards and and just encouraging me <laughs> with, yeah. with this long text. I'm like, yeah. I'm not even I'm not even there fully yet. Oh, um, and Aaron has just been a consistent encourager through text, through phone calls, through just pulling me aside when the busyness of life and ministry is just going and you've just been really good at slowing down and just being like, man, like this is what I see God doing in you. And it sounds like from Tyler's story and so many people's story that they've just been impacted. Well, it's Aaron's credit. He he didn't even leave that night at Night of Worship. Oh, that's right. Man, thank you guys. Yeah, Uh, People ask uh, often, um, because I do know I have a gifting of being an encourager and a developer of people. And people ask like, where did that come from? Like, why is it easy for you to encourage people? And it's like, I'm not trying to make like a cheesy connection to what this uh, podcast is about today. But honestly, it's so much of my life was about doubting myself Mm. and not believing in myself. And I had a few people throughout the history of my life, just a few, not very many, that just spoke really profound, encouraging things about me that helped me fight against doubting myself. Like when I think about growing up, I was super insecure. I was very alone. I was the quiet guy in the corner that did not believe in himself, but somebody else believed in me. And that's been huge to help me fight my own doubts about myself and my gifting and the way God made me uniquely. And so, man, it's so easy to want to encourage people because I know what it feels like to doubt yourself. Mm. And I know that everybody struggles, no matter what your job is, no matter what your age is, you struggle with like really believing that God has something for you or you can be you. So it's so easy to want to encourage people because I know what that does and how that does Mm -hmm. help produce faith, like faith in Jesus. Like, no, God made you. Mitchell, God brought you here. So Mm -hmm. how could I not encourage you? Because he did that and Mm -hmm. you're awesome. And so I think there's power in that, that all of us possess the power to step into somebody's life and place courage in them and help them fight their doubts. You know, that's the reason though. That's Mm -hmm. why I do it so easily because that was done to me and it's still done to me. Like on a daily basis, there are people encouraging me that help me every day fight my doubts. Yeah. Every day. Mm -hmm. Dude, praise God for that, man. I feel like that's a huge part of my story as well. And a part of the culture that we've tried to establish as our downtown staff team is that we want to encourage more than we critique because we're all just like, you know, fast-paced people. We want to go hard in the paint for Jesus, but there's also this part of it that that we don't talk about a lot where we're critiquing everything we do. We, we critique ourselves. Uh, I've talked to Tyler many times after, you know, a sermon on Sunday where he's just kind of critiquing like, man, like did that, did that hit the people uh, the way that, you know, I prayed that it would, but, but I've seen more of a need for encouragement, especially with our younger generation, the college students who are even listening to this, maybe they grew up in a culture where it was critique, critique, critique of all the things around them, but maybe they didn't hear encouragement growing up. Right. That would actually affirm the things that God is doing in their lives and just encourage them in a way that would help them with doubts that they're struggling with. And I'm glad you transitioned us into just talking a little bit about doubt. Uh, Aaron is not only our, our worship pastor for our church, but he's also an incredible preacher. Uh, and at the time we're recording this, uh, yesterday he preached on and hit on the subject of doubt. Um, so when I think of preachers, and I, I don't know, when I think of Preachers, I don't think of someone 
preaching to hundreds of people trying to convince them that Jesus is Lord, that the gospel is for them. I don't think of those preachers also experiencing doubt. Mm. But you talked a little bit about how you actually have experienced it. And we hear that word doubt, I know, thrown around like so so often. You know, I doubt this, I doubt that, I doubt myself, I, I doubt God. But I want to ask if first you could define doubt for us and also talk about a moment where you've experienced it. I mean, doubt is something so difficult to define. And for so many years, I, I just tried to push doubt away and not deal with it. Like fake fake it, you know? No, I'm not, I don't ever doubt. And if people ask if a pastor doubts, oh, no, 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 of course not. And just kind of stuff it away because it's so hard to define. Like, what is it? Is it is it wrong? Is it okay? Does Jesus accept doubts? Does he uh, shun doubts? And I think a helpful framework for defining doubt is doubt is putting your faith in somebody or something other than Jesus. We're always putting faith in something. Mm. So at the end of the day, doubt really is putting faith in somebody or something else. Mm. And that's been really freeing for me to go, okay, actually what I need to do is I need to swap what I'm putting my faith in. So if I'm putting faith in the fact that Aaron Ivey is busted and broken and not good enough and not eloquent enough or not impressive enough, I'm actually just putting faith in myself whether it's a lack of all those things or pride on another day. So the solution to that is not to just shun doubt and go, man, I'm a mess for doing that, but to go, no, you know what? My faith needs to go in Jesus. My faith needs to go in what he says about me. That's been super helpful um, to think about that sort of thing. And if I think about the history of uh, you know the last couple of years, the season of my life where I have wrestled with doubt, the most would be this year, 2020, because I mentioned it on Sunday, but this is the year that I was diagnosed with depression. It's something that I kind of always knew that was a struggle for me, but I kind of brushed it off and I tried. I'm an Enneagram 3, and so I'm really good at just like putting a camouflage on and walking into a room and trying to be like impressive or whatever, but then walking out and then when I'm alone, just feeling like crumbled because Mm -hmm. it takes so much energy and effort to do that. But that was a coping mechanism and I got really, really good at doing that until it ran out and it ran out for me at 41 years old. And so I started going to counseling and started processing some of my own family history. And so depression is a part of my family history. You know, I started to question if that's something that I could tell other people. Like to give you an example, and I think most people maybe that have dealt with depression, uh, this, what I'm about to tell you will totally like, you're going to nod your head as you're walking around Town Lake or walking to Mm -hmm. class today. It's really common and easy for people to kind of brush off when somebody says they struggle with depression. Like many times in a conversation, I've heard somebody say, oh, everybody's got depression these days. Oh, Mm -hmm. everybody's on antidepressants. Oh, counseling, that's the cool, that's the hip thing to do. Who's your Christian counselor? And it becomes kind of like a a comedy sort of thing where, man, depression is not that big of a deal. And so I hid it Mm -hmm. and just kept it because I didn't want to fall in the same category of, oh, I'm sure you're depressed. What in the world would you be sad about? And so I just stuffed it and stuffed it and stuffed it. And the more I stuffed it, I doubted more and more whether I was good enough to be loved by God. Because mm. not only was I struggling with depression, but I was struggling with hiding. And that's a, that's a, really, yeah. that's a really tough co- combination. That's where a lot of people get into a lot of trouble. So I doubted that God loved me. I doubted that I was good enough for him to use me. I doubted that I could be a good leader and pastor. I doubted 
that he could ever fix that or heal that or even want to. And then I was on a trip with my three sons uh, in Marfa, Texas, and it was like a light bulb went off for me of, wow, there's actually something that I need help with that's not just emotional, but it's physiological. There's something that I need help with because I looked back and I saw every day, about 50% of every day, I was in a pretty dark spot of a sadness I couldn't explain and an inability to get out of it. And paired with all of that was doubting that God was okay with that. Mm -hmm. I felt super ashamed to admit that to other people and especially ashamed to admit that to God, who, from my perspective, had given me all this stuff and all of this like amazing, you know, friendships and relationships. I felt so guilty going to him and going, I doubt that you're good and I doubt that you're with me. And I doubt that you care about this part of my life. And so, man, through uh, a couple of amazing common graces like medication and the common grace of deep-rooted friendships and an amazing wife that saw all that and walked through that with me, the common Mm -hmm. grace of a church community that's not afraid of those conversations, um, God is freeing me from a lot of those things. So the last couple of months have been better. I'm not healed from it. You know, even walking here this morning to do this podcast, I drove here with the radio off and no music, no podcast, you know, and I felt it. Hmm. I felt it yeah. distinctly. And I just got done yesterday preaching a sermon about doubt and depression. And still, a 45-minute drive here, I experienced it all over again. So it's a it's a common thing for me. And so that's what I want to help people. People understand. What's interesting, too, it would doubt when it's in the darkness just gets worse. Yeah. Right? And I think that's what—I mean, again, I, you're modeling this, and you're doing this in your real life because you yeah. and I— stayed up super late one night talking where you were really honest about this stuff, Mm -hmm. right? And there's something about even bringing light to it that doesn't fix it. But if like most of our hurts or dysfunctions or sins or whatever you want to call them, when it's in darkness, it just gets worse. Right. And so that's why we want to talk about because if you hide it, there's no way to fix it. And But if you bring it out and people hear it and they immediately explain it away or they immediately... Instead of listening, just go to trite Bible statements without actually listening to what's being said. Right. Doesn't mean the Bible's not true. It just means Ecclesiastes is right. It's a time for everything. And there's sometimes mm-hmm. just to listen and just to say, help me understand where that's coming from. Help me understand what you're what you're feeling. I think I want to create as a church that if you do confess doubt, that it's not dismissed and it's not seen as the final word on your life. But it's, it's listened to right. and it's heard yep. because if it's in the darkness, it only gets worse. That's right. It only gets worse. So is all doubt the same? So I think that's one of the things we we're talking about before this started. I, I know I'm the same as you, Aaron. I've, uh, you know, doubt is uncertainty, right? It's just uncertainty. And it's like you said, you can have doubt in all sorts of things. Even non-believers doubt if they're, if they're going the right way too. And so I, I think for me, I know I, in college, I had a crisis of faith. Over, over my doubt of God. I'll never forget, I was talking to a guy who's not a believer, and he just told me, he said, if, like, let's just say God's true, why wouldn't he just show up right now and just tell me that? So that way, if I reject him, I reject him wholeheartedly because he showed up in a physical presence, and I said, no, I don't want to believe in you. Doesn't it, Tyler, feel unfair that based off, even if the whole Bible is true, why does he make it so complicated to hear him? And I don't know what about that night. It just rocked me, and I and I had no answer. I remember looking at him because I, because part of my own issue is I want to be the guy with the answers. And so when I didn't have an answer, I just thought, if I don't have an answer, then God maybe He's not true. 
And I drove home that whole night, and I literally thought, I'm done. I'm done. Oh my God, seriously, that's a valid question in my mind. Why not just show up? And that way, if he rejects you, there's no way to say that you weren't right. I remember I went home, and my, my friends was, you know, college buddies, they were all, I don't know what they were doing. They were outside around a fire or something. And they were, how are you doing? I was like, dude, I'm not doing well. I'm done with faith. I remember telling them out loud, I'm done with faith. Mm-hmm. I remember calling, Louie and Lauren were dating at the time, and I called her, and I just told her I was done with faith hmm. on the phone. And she's weeping. Because we're like, we're very seriously dating. Faith is, I mean, me and Lauren, we got together because we had a common love for Jesus. Like that was our, like we didn't have common hobbies. We didn't commonly lead Mm -hmm. stuff together. We just love Jesus. That's what brought us together. And so I'm telling her that I don't know that I believe anymore. And I'm not even saying I don't know. I'm being definitive because I'm me. So I make definitive statements and everything, (laughs) Um, especially 20-year-old version of me. And I'm telling her I'm done and she's crying. I remember her saying this statement. She goes, who told you? Like who 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 said this that made you made you like rock your faith? And no exaggeration is this the way the Holy Spirit works. He brought to mind Genesis three, where God looks at Adam and goes, "Who told you you were naked?" Hmm. And the whole question to Adam was, "Who are you listening to?" And it, it hit me of like I'm letting this guy who I love, but if I God just said, "Look at that guy's life," and he was, I mean, nothing about his life was like healthy. He, he, was a, he was a broken guy just like me, but nothing about – he didn't have the answers either. So I'm letting this guy rock my faith. Hmm. And it was this question of who told you? Who are you listening hmm. to? That's good. And it made me realize that a lot of his questions had to do with – in that point in time for me was just pride of going, I don't want God to be in authority over me or over him. Right. Right? Like it, was, it was pride. Yeah. My, that, yeah. that doubt in particular was pride of going, I don't think God should be able to set the rules. I think we should set the rules, which is if he shows up, I'll listen to him. But that means you're in charge of God. Yeah, I tell him what to do. Right. Yeah. So it was, pr- it was pr- pride. But over my life, I've seen – I've had all sorts of doubt because I am such an analytical person the way I see the world. I'm constantly ass- assessing, observing, how does this fit? How does that fit? And so I think there's intellectual doubt. There's suffering doubt. There's lifestyle doubt. And then there's just proud doubt. And so I think that one I just talked about for me was just pride. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't think God should set the table. But as I've lived more life, I've seen sometimes doubt is just intellectual that I don't know how to make sense of the Christian faith with what I know in the world. Like, I don't want to make sense of dinosaurs. Right. I don't want to make sense of evolution. I'm like, I, I remember in college being like, no, no, I, I know I want to trust God, but like there are dinosaur bones literally in the ground. Yeah. And I need an answer for that. I can't right. just be like— I need an answer right yeah. now. And, and, mm. and the answer of God put them there to deceive people that— have you heard this before? <laughs> I've heard that. I, God put dinosaur bones in yeah. the ground to make sure to test everybody right. if you trust him. And then he made the earth flat. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Um, but there's this intellectual questions where you have to say, how I, I don't understand how this works. And so the, that's those are real doubts people wrestle with. And the, and what you should do when you have intellectual doubts is, well, learn. Like yeah, listen read. to the like read good books. Mm-hmm. Like don't don't just go on Twitter and Instagram to solve life's most complicated questions. Right, you know, like right. it will not be answered mm-hmm. in two hundred and forty characters. I I apologize for that, but it won't. But the second piece of doubt is suffering, and I do think suffering is probably the deepest form where people doubt. Mm-hmm. You read the Psalms; that's why people doubt God is they they doubt Him in the Psalms because they're looking at suffering and they can't make sense of it. Right, it's constantly going. If you are who you say you are, why is this thing happening? And I remember this is back to one of the same buddies of mine in college. When I was asking him, we'd have all these conversations about Jesus, and he was an atheist and didn't believe in anything. 
And he was one day, I mean, we've had a relationship for years. And one day he finally said, we're actually talking about Mark 2. We were finally reading the Bible together. This has been progression over time. And I remember reading Mark 2, and finally he had this one line where he finally let his guard down. He said, Tyler, if you had seen what I have seen, you wouldn't believe either. And all the intellectual, philosophical arguments kind of came down to where they were the core of it was, if you had seen what I've seen, you wouldn't believe either. Yeah, yeah. And there's suffering people go through that it's really difficult to make sense of who God is, and Christians do no one a service by acting like that's not a real thing. Right, right. Suffering is so difficult when you have a God who's good and sovereign, why would he allow it? And those are really good questions asked. They're intellectual, but they're primarily personal and emotional. And so if you're going through suffering, you're going to doubt God. And the way you deal with that is through counsel. It's through grieving. It's through lamenting. It's through having patience with yourself and your heart to catch up to your, your head. Because that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a lot of it. harder. It, and it takes forever. Yeah. It takes so much longer. And also for me, when I've had suffering in my life from people's lives I didn't understand, I mean, for me, the most convincing argument has been Jesus suffering for us. Mm-hmm. The fact that Jesus has gone through worse than me yeah. helps my doubt in that way. There's Then there's lifestyle doubt where it's just, I don't understand how I could change in the way the Bible's commanding me to. I doubt God because I'm thinking, there's no way I can be what your word says I'm going to be. There's, I just don't see it. I don't see right. how any way right. that the life you're describing could be for me. I'm too broken. My passions are this. My desires are this. And mm-hmm. I don't want to make sense of it. Yeah. And when I'm going through lifestyle, just it's that question of, could this really be true? Could someone really live this out? That's where you need community. But the answer to that doubt is I need people in my life to show me yeah. God changes people. Right. And there's different stories than mine. And and honestly, that's why we're doing baptisms this Sunday. Mm-hmm. Seeing somebody baptized, right in front of your eyes. gospel changes people. Yep. Yeah. And so I think all these different layers of doubt help us, all of us go, they're not all the same. And what I love about all of it is doubts force you to test your assumptions. And if God is a God of truth— then we can test it and test it and test it, and he'll always come out as true. Mm. That's the best thing about truth is it over time always wins. Right. <laughs> right? Lies yeah. can't keep themselves up. And so I think doubt in the Christian faith is a healthy thing because it drives you to certainty. I am more sure of, the, of my faith because I've been honest about my doubts. Mm-hmm. That's and I wish people who are doubting would go, no, no, I'm telling you on the other side of this, it may be five years, but on the other side of this, you're going to have more faith in who Jesus is, not less. That's been my experience anyway. You know, I grew up in a Christian kind of a version of Christianity that was super unhealthy and was very legalistic. And I have a memory of being in high school, is like early high school, maybe late middle school, where one of the sermons, like the teaching, the main point was if you question, if you have a question about God or you question this thing about theology or you question this about God's goodness, then just by asking the question, you are sinning. Mm. So don't ask questions. And I remember hearing that and going, well, I don't I don't want to go to hell because if you have even one sin right. in this legalistic thing I kind of was around, then you go to hell. And so it just kind of trained me to, to not ask questions. And then I got to college, though, and I met some— some believers that, man, they loved Jesus, they read the Bible, and every week we would get together and we would just talk about questions that people were having, you know, apologetics. What does this actually mean? How can there be a hell and a heaven? How can God love people and people go through suffering? And those questions were so helpful to me. Mm. And it's not a sin to ask questions. It's actually really good for a Christian to ask questions because when you ask questions, you actually grow. You grow in your faith, you grow in your understanding of Jesus. 
honestly, all of my doubts now, I see them as an opportunity to get to know the heart of Jesus more. Totally. Me doubting whether he could love me or accept me. Actually, when I when I question that, when I ask him, he's actually bold enough and strong enough and secure enough in himself to prove to me, maybe mm-hmm. slowly over years, that I can trust him, that mm-hmm. he is good. So every single doubt and every single question I think is actually meant to yeah. pull us closer to the heart of Jesus. And so it's not wrong to ask questions. Yeah. I think it's actually more unhealthy just to coast through your whole life and and never ask really hard questions about our faith. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny to that point. And when I was in college, I had the inverse of that. We only asked questions and never wanted answers. Mm-hmm, yeah. So we were like, but like, how could you ever really know? And at some point, when you're just asking questions for the sake of questions, sometimes that's my way to guard myself against God having control in my life. Mm-hmm. There's the uh, don't ask questions, and then there's the only ask questions and never come to conclusions, right? And like right. be in learner mode in perpetuity to justify unbelief, right? Where it's like I could never – because at some point, like you said – God will give us answers, and there is that that bottom layer of doubt to go, I don't like that you tell me what to do. I don't like that you have, in this particular, whatever the category may be, you have an actual answer. I don't like the answer. And then you have to do the hard work of, and that's what you preached on yesterday, of going, are your doubts, do they offer a better story for you to live in? Because that, that, that's what I think happens oftentimes is when you don't believe God, you don't ever do the hard work of saying, okay, but the thing that I'm believing— how. Like, how does that end up? Like, does that make me have full relationships? Does that make me have, like, a a life that gives me joy? Or is it more, then this is back to what you said at the very beginning, these college students are growing up in a generation where critique is more prominent than encouragement. And all critique can do is tear down. It can't build. Right. It it can't build anything. Encouragement is needed to build something. But to encourage towards something, you have to have a belief in something, a future, of some, a, vi- a vision of something. Yeah. And if you have no future, then all you can do is critique. And they don't even know how to make anything because that requires an actual hopeful, optimistic yeah. attitude. Like a baseline of hopefulness. And, and you have Good. to have a future you want to pursue. Yeah. But, if, but if there is no future and there's nothing really except for self, then all you can do is critique. Mm-hmm. And all that produces when you're self-focused and that's all you got – you're going to be miserable yeah. because you're not made to be self-focused, you know? But so right. I, I think kind of the way you started, I, I like just the idea of how encouragement and faith go together and how unbelief and critique go together mm-hmm. because they, 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 in some ways they're wed together in the way you see the world and what your future is. And the ingredient in that that determines whether it's the first one you mentioned or yeah. the second one is cynicism. Yeah. I remember in college, uh, me and Stephen Bush, we uh, were super cynical. I mean, cynical all the time. Cynicism is that ingredient that changes the whole game. And in every conversation that that I was having, every question, you know, led to more questions, led to more questions. It was because cynicism was in there. When you take cynicism out, though, there's a posture of learning. That's good. When there's a baseline of, you know what, I actually do want to believe that God is good. That's the baseline. I don't yet. When you remove cynicism, though— it actually helps you grow and learn. And I remember on our laptop computers, we had we had you know one of those little things that prints out the sticker or whatever. Mm-hmm. What am I talking about? You know, label maker, a label maker, <laughs> a label maker. I wasn't big into we, labels in college, <laughs> dude. Me and Bush were big time into labels. Into no, lab- I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we had a label maker, and all over our laptop, we just wrote things like cynicism kills, cynicism mm-hmm. is gross. Cynicism is death. So every time you're opening up your computer to study or get online or, you know, look at social media, like actually training yourself to uproot cynicism. So I want to have a baseline of 
seeing the best in you, Mitchell. I want to have yeah. the baseline of hoping for the best when I read the Bible. And I'll tell you the thing, man, that has helped me kill cynicism is not learning more intellectual things about Jesus, mm. but learning more about his heart. It's good. That is what kills cynicism. So if somebody's cynical about Aaron Ivey, which there's probably some reasons that you could be cynical when you look at any of your pastors or any of your leaders, it's really it's really easy to be cynical. Sure. But if you got to know my heart, it would be impossible for you to be cynical. Yeah. And so the more that I've known Jesus' heart, mm-hmm. that he is gentle, that he is kind, that he is lowly, that he is humble, that he is meek, that he is for people, that he runs towards people, it is so much easier to be cynical that's about right. the faith when you get to know the heart. Yeah. One of the best books I've ever read, which is a great resource for anybody, even in your struggling with doubt, this is a great place to start. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And it's not going to be this like deep dive into the theology of God. If you want that, go to reason. But in some ways it is. Yeah, you know what I'm but, saying? but it's yeah, a yeah. deep theological study into yeah. his heart. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not, yeah. not going to be yeah. evolution and yeah, yeah, right, 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 heaven right. and hell aren't yeah, going to yeah. all be explained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the heart, it's the theology of Jesus' yeah, heart. Yeah. yeah. And it is beautiful. And so, man, taking cynicism out is a huge part of going to war against doubts and yeah. dealing with doubts. Yeah, college is one of the first places Christians in general experience doubt. I mean, Tyler, you were just talking about that. I've experienced that, whether it's from peers or professors like, trying to challenge their views or revaluing the role that faith practically has in their lives, like like doubt can creep in. But it sounds like what y'all are saying is that nothing stronger gets built mm-hmm. in its place. Yeah. That, yeah, we can literally tear down everything, but then what's left? Right. Is there something stronger that's left? Is there, is there something that we can put our hope or faith in that's left? And I can relate to a lot of those stories that I hear from so many students, because sometimes being hurt by church experiences can lead believers to doubt who God is yeah. and even take them on a road to potential unbelief. Like I had an experience when I was in college where I dated a white girl. It was the first white girl I ever dated. Uh, I knew she was a Christian and she came from a Christian family. Uh, and we were dating for about three months and her parents probably lived like 45 minutes away from Lubbock. I realized that she had never told her parents about me. And so I would ask different questions about it. I would ask her friends about it. I would ask my friends because we were in the same friend group. And I came to the realization that she never told her parents about me because I was black. Uh, So she finally did maybe like three or four months in, and they were completely outraged. Like it was like, as a believer, that was like probably the lowest point of my life Mm -hmm. uh, because I was like, tell me, tell me what they said. Tell me what they said. And uh, I don't remember what her dad said. I remember what her mom said. Her, Her mom was crying, asking, what did we do wrong? What did we do wrong? Yeah. Uh, True story. And so I I soon realized I I began on this road of like just trying to figure out, man, like, are there people in the church who are like this? And I realized that there are Mm -hmm. so many people in the church who were racist. And I I soon realized that. And I began to doubt if church was even a good thing. Mm. So one of the questions that I've wrestled with throughout the years, and I, I work for a church. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions college students give me all the time, if the church has the truth, why is it full of hypocrites? After hearing that story, Mitchell, I mean, I'm Bro, sorry you had to. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to transition to, your, transition to your question. Also, I just want to tell yeah. that I love you, and I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah me too, um, man. Love y'all too. Yeah, Thank don't, you. I don't want to just zoom past that for a right. podcast sake. Mm. Um <laughs> Um, 
I think I think one of the pieces about being in the church that's difficult is at some level you're going to have to admit your hypocrisy because of how perfect Jesus is. Mm-hmm. When you're getting when you're comparing yourself to Jesus, I'm he doesn't make me feel this way, but I you feel this way when you get around him. There's there's this he's so perfect and he's so pure and he's so right all the time that and when I compare myself to him and when the world rightly compares us to him, they're going to be let down, right? They're going to look, go, none of you are doing what Jesus did. This is where Christians get in trouble. We want to act like it's not true. No, 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 we're, we're just like him and we've never failed. And we're like, yeah. the whole point of Christian faith is to say there's literally one hero. Yeah, There's one person who should be admired. Like when, when you read the Old Testament or you read the New Testament— we tend to read it and want to write ourselves into the hero spot almost always. Like you read about David and you're like, I'm like David and I want to be like this. And you're like, no, you don't want that spot because you're going to crumble under the weight of it. Mm. Because we think what the world needs is for the church to be as perfect as Jesus. What Mm. the world needs is for the church to tell about how great Jesus is and for us to be honest about our failures. Because that's where we we don't want to be honest about our failures because we think that our success morally is tied to the outcomes of Jesus being worshiped. But the gospel is literally the opposite of that. Our whole story is to show off how weak and broken and busted we are, and that shows off the power and love and strength of Jesus. I think at one level, they should feel that that dissonance. Where the church gets in trouble, where people can't trust them, is when you won't admit it. Right. Because I have pride that I want to believe I'm as good as Jesus. Yeah. Like, I'm not. We're not. That's the whole point, right? So I think at some level, it's understandable and should be there. But the, I do think the hard part about the church is they won't admit failures, and that's where we've always gotten in trouble. It hasn't been that the church hasn't served the world and blessed the world. The church really has. Mm-hmm. It's the church then goes, I don't know how to make sense of the fact that I'm both the spirit-filled version of me that did all those good things, and I'm also that sinful version of me that did all those awful things. Dang. And I don't want to have to admit that part about me. Right. So that's where the church right. can do I mean, the whole point of this podcast is for us to like open up and say, oh, we're all super flawed and complicated. Yeah. And there's so many things about us that if you just had enough time and, and context, you would see like, oh, mm-hmm. we're, we're no different. Yeah. We're yeah. no different. But leaders make it harder because we want to prop ourselves up. And I'd like it to Jesus to be one A and me be one B. That's mm-hmm. good. Instead of it be Jesus and everybody else. Right. So I think that's where I feel people's frustrations because Christians all the time don't live up to the ideals they have. And instead of being confessing that as sin, they either hide it or confess it as it's fine, right? And I think that's what we want to model a different way of going, I want to be super honest about it and not to justify it, mm-hmm. yeah. but to go, but Jesus yeah. doesn't shame me or shun me or push me away because of it. So I think in some ways it's, I understand where they're coming from and it's right and good. In other ways, I think the church has failed and will continue to fail. And I think it's up to local churches like us one by one, yep, to be something different, right? You know, it's like let, well, let's we, we know churches have failed. Well, let's try to be a not a not the answer to that. Like we're, yeah. we're we're not the Messiah of churches, you know, but to be one little example of it's possible to not be one or the other. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's possible to be both honest and trust the word, but and not have to sacrifice those two. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm super hopeful about the future of the church, and I'm also really comfortable challenging it, and it can be both of those mm-hmm. at the same time. And specifically with, like, the next kind of generation of church leaders, which college students right now are going to be the ones that are leading the church and yep. defining what the church 
feels like and what it communicates to the world and how it intersects with the city. And so I think for for college students, what I'm so passionate about and the reason I love our college ministry so much is because there's there's something that's really true about this like season of life that that we live in. I think people want to be more vulnerable and are looking for vulnerability in other people now more than ever. When I was in college, vulnerability was not a thing. Being powerful was a thing. Yeah. Now it's like, I just want what's real. I want what feels real, sounds real, looks real, is tested to be real. And so that's why I'm super hopeful. That's that's what the church needs to be, is like vulnerable and honest. You think about David when you read the scripture, that dude was super honest. In yeah. one breath, he's like, God's awesome. And the next breath, he's like, I don't even know if God's real. I don't know if I can trust him. My heart is a mess. My soul is a mess. Think about Paul. Paul would say all this amazing stuff, but then he's also the guy in the Bible that would say, I do everything I don't want to do, mm-hmm. and I don't do all the things that I want to do. That's what we need right now, and that's what college students specifically, 20 to 29-year-olds, are doing, being very vulnerable, right? But I also, in the same breath, want to challenge this next generation of leaders and the church. I want to challenge to not fall into the trap of cancel culture, of, well, mm-hmm. because there are hypocrites in the church— I'm going to walk away from the church instead to do it a better way, to show grace to leaders that fail and fall and to let yourself see how much better Jesus is than that celebrity pastor was. To let Mm. not cancel culture become the theme, but, oh, I see how broken people are and it makes me want to be more holy. It makes me want to fight sin more. It makes me want to be more vulnerable and honest. That's how the church Mm -hmm. can grow and be really beautiful in this current season and the next. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and when you want perfection of other people, usually it's so that I can feel like I could be perfect or, or I haven't tasted grace before myself. That's where grace is, is actually the thing that builds the church because when, it, when a pastor fails, it's going, okay, great. That doesn't mean they're out of the church. It doesn't mean that they don't. there's not grace for them and love for them, but also it means it showcases how we idolize leadership. Right. And we mm-hmm. think, well, how could you be happy without being a leader? You're like, I didn't. I thought the whole goal was Jesus and not leadership, or mm. Jesus and not marriage, or Jesus and. And I think that's where when you get it, when you start building the church on any really good thing, that's not Jesus, it's going to produce something dysfunctional over time. Yeah. Yeah. Again, purpose of community is to constantly have each other to go, hey, it's Jesus. He genuinely is what we're after, and we pursue vulnerability, and we pursue ethnic diversity, and we pursue justice, we pursue all these things mm-hmm. based on how He defines those things. And he has this way of his wisdom is through the roof. I, did, right. I just, I've never seen his ability to build things out of nothing. To I mean, all of our stories is literally him taking ashes and going, like, you talk about your life. I mean, me looking at my life when I'm 20, sitting there going, I can never believe in God. And then where I am now, I'm going, yeah. how did I ever get there? Because he can build things that no one else can. Mm-hmm. Y'all, that's so good. One, one thing I would add is that when when I went through that experience— and it's a lot like what we talked about with Halim, you know, with church hurt. What God used to heal my church hurt was the church. Mm. Uh, and I remember going through this experience and feeling so alone and just wanting to throw everything out. Right. I'm like, well, the whole thing is busted. Mm. There were men and women my age and my college pastor and so many people who came around me in that time to help point me to Jesus. Mm. Aaron, a big part of my story is that, man, I've I've been diagnosed with depression and anxiety. So I remember those two things mixing and mingling together and walking through all of that. I could not have gone through that season alone. Mm. So for, for those of you listening, we want to continue to encourage you to 
walk through these things in community and have these real moments of question asking in your communities, making a vulnerable environment in your missional communities or small groups um, or with your friends or roommates. Aaron and Tyler have been just leading downtown together for so long now. I'm not even I'm not even gonna try to figure out the years. So I know backstage before y'all go out. Oh, yeah. Into a service. <laughs> Man, I know that y'all can't be 100%, you know, on fire with God all the time, right? Uh, nope. Like, <laughs> no. Nope. <laughs> so, so, man, what's the dynamic between you guys and how you guys encourage each other um, when you're walking through maybe hard things like doubt as you're maybe suffering or mm-hmm. even intellectual doubts as you guys are about to go on stage and leading, like, what does it look like for y'all to be in community together and to care for each other before a big moment like that happens? Mm-hmm. I mean, t- Tyler and I will be the first to say that we do not have all of our crap together. Nope. And so if, if there's any temptation for somebody to go, man, they uh, you know must not have any struggles or any, anything that they ever question about mm-hmm. God. I mean, it's, it's probably been pretty clear <laughs> if you've been around our church for a while. <laughs> and so hopefully that's helping kind of take a little bit of the question out of, is my church trustworthy? And yeah. are, are these hypocrites yeah. that are leading me? Hypocrisy is just not admitting your weakness. That's right. uh, it's, you're not a hypocrite just because you're weak. Yeah. It's when you try to hide it. Yeah. So y'all just need to hear yeah. both of us say, yeah. we it's are funny. we are broken men that, that are, are trying our best to follow Jesus. Um, there's been a lot of times, yeah, a lot of Sundays where I'll either come in in a heavy spot or in a doubting spot or tired or, or not feeling it, you know, of just going, man, I, I just, I, I've got this burden I'm, I'm walking in with. Yeah. And Tyler will look at me, and for whatever reason, Tyler's like, man, I got this. Today I'm actually doing really well. Yeah. So I had an amazing day of rest yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I've actually been reading my Bible this yeah. week. I'm yeah. good. And there's been moments where it's been, yes, been flipped, sure. so yeah. many moments that mm-hmm. we, we just kind of are, are able to see God's grace yeah. in allowing our church to be led by plurality, because if it was just me leading our church, or if it was just Tyler leading, then everything's resting on one person to have it together all the time, and that's impossible. And then that's where the celebrity sort of thing falls apart. That's right. But there's a plurality of leaders Mm. at the Austin Stone, which is super helpful to know that I can be honest with Tyler and go, dude, I'm a mess today. (laughs) And and it doesn't disqualify you from leading in a second. And I think it's good for college students to remember that. I came to—I mean, this has happened— Three weeks ago, yeah, I was preaching, and I looked at you, and I said, dude, I had a tough week. Yeah. And you go, bro, I had a great week with Jesus, so we're good. <laughs> and it doesn't—again, that's that's not justifying sin or all—don't uh, read into that as something insidious. It genuinely is me looking at a brother and going, dude, I am feeling very weak. I I still trust Jesus, but, man, I'm struggling in the with— so many different things. It, 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 honestly, it could have something to do with that Sunday itself, or it could be completely independent, personal st- life stuff, family stuff that yeah. are just yeah. weighing heavy. And I think what it does when you, when I tell Aaron that before Sunday, and he can look at me and say, dude, I, I got you. Hey, I know you're doubting. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just helpful to yeah. go because uh, throughout your life, you're going to have a lot of little doubts. Right. Like Not everything's going to be crisis of faith stuff, right? right? But it is nice to have someone to go, are you good? 
Thank God, because I'll probably mm-hmm. be good tomorrow. Like I, I love the the John Stott story, where John Stott's a famous British theologian that our most of our students have never heard of, which tells you why celebrity doesn't matter because yeah. he was the yeah. most important thinker like twenty years ago. Yeah. But he has written some phenomenal books, and he's a, he was a bachelor his whole life. He was single his whole life, and so he was mentoring these young guys, and they said, "Hey, what do you do?" This massive theologian, what do you do when you struggle with doubt? And John Stott told him, "I take a nap." And normally I'm better afterwards. <laughs> I love that. And, Ooh, that and, I love that. And sometimes you're doubting. You just need someone to go. You're just tired. Hey, take a nap. Mm-hmm. Chill hey, out. chill out. And that's what that was. It was me going, Aaron, I'm struggling. Him going, dude, we're good. I'm like, yeah. you know what? We're oh, good. Tyler, yeah. Tyler told me that last week. I was like, Tyler, <laughs> this has been an off week. We're having an all-day team thing. We're actually at Aaron's house. Yeah. And I was like, hey, look, if— I look like I'm in bad shape. It's kind of because I am. Yeah. And Tyler's like, honestly, you just need to rest. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you just go home after it's this. For that's, that's, that's exactly right. Um, so and, ha- ha- yeah. having community when you're leading things for college students, it doesn't mean you quit leading things. It it's just good. means you go, I'm not always going to be the best version of myself. And Jesus doesn't need the best version of myself yeah. to yeah. work. He yeah. just needs me faithfully taking a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. Right. And what's amazing about that is like, the Sundays me and Aaron lead where either one of us feel terrible about something, almost always there are Sundays where God just moves mm. in power. And people come up and go, that was amazing. And it's just a good reminder to both of us to go, Jesus is the one who does all this it has stuff. nothing to do with <laughs> us. Nothing to do with us. I was broken and, and, that and, day. And every mm-hmm. group that our college students lead or are part of, you're going to have times where people come to your dorm or you go outside, you hang out together, and you're going to think, this is going to be the worst possible thing. Mm-hmm. I sinned yesterday. Who am I to, to lead this? I don't even know if I believe this right now. You're going to have people over. You're going to talk. You're going to read the Bible. You're going to pray. You're going to hang out, whatever. You're going to get done. Someone's going to look at you and go, that was the one of the—I was the, that was the, I needed that more than anything. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you're going to think— what <laughs> if you knew me? And that's the whole point is no one has it together like you think they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like as much as you're struggling, everybody else is exactly the same as you yeah. are, you know. Man, that's what's so profoundly like distinct about Christianity. It's about doing all those things, leading, serving, being, whatever, not out of strength. That's right. But out of weakness. Scripture says I'm gonna boast in my weakness. Mm. It's in my weakness that Christ is made strong through me, you know? Yeah. And so that, that, that has liberated me yeah. to be honest about doubting and yeah. honest about brokenness, where I know Tyler's not going to judge me, That's but he's right. actually going to come alongside me and go, okay, cool. I'm sure, I'm sure you'll bounce back. Mm-hmm. You, Jesus is with you. He's yeah. got you. He's going to work all this stuff out in you. It might take yeah. a while, but until he does, let's do this together. It reminds me of, I found this passage when I was studying for this sermon uh, this week, Jude really short book. It's got one chapter. So Jude 1, 21 through 22 says this, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and have mercy on those who doubt. Hmm. So if you're wondering, like, how do you walk alongside a friend who's doubting? Scripture makes it super, it's actually simple. It's really clear. Have mercy on them. Show mercy, show patience, show grace, show a slowness in your friendship and relationship. Don't get mad. Don't throw your hands up in the air. Don't walk away. Don't give up. But the scripture's like, for those that doubt, you show mercy. And I've had so many people on a daily basis show me mercy. And what does it do? Man, it just makes me even more grateful for the mercy of Jesus Mm. because he's the same way. Man, I needed to hear that passage. Yeah, have mercy on those who are doubting because sometimes we can take a Bible and just be like, all right, here are these these Bible passages and just kind of 
throw it on top of somebody's head as they're experiencing doubt. Um, Maybe when they're in the midst of uh, struggles with mental health or just any other form of suffering or even intellectual doubt, sometimes we can just give things like, here's this apologetics book, like read through it and you should be okay. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus asks the body to actually be like he is to us, to be merciful as he has shown us mercy. Yeah, that's good. Um, And I think that's so beautiful and that's so refreshing because sometimes we don't think that we can have doubts while also having faith. But but what I think we we are talking about and what we see in the Bible is that like you you can and that Jesus is not going to run away from you when yeah. you're questioning, man, is the Bible true? He's not going to cross his arms when when you're thinking, man, is the church like a place that I should belong? No, Jesus is going to stay there for the long haul with you. And that's mm-hmm. what's so beautiful about the gospel and why we're just all in about preaching Christ and Christ alone. Yeah. And that's why we glorify his name. That's why we sing all of these songs about him. That's why we literally preach what he has said in the Bible is because he's never going to leave us. He's right. never going to forsake us. Before he tells us what to do, he tells us who we are. And we're children of God because of what he's done for us. And, and so, so, so with that, thinking of even more practical things for those who are listening, who are walking, with people in their lives who are experiencing doubt, maybe some people are leading a small group or leading a group of high schoolers or middle schoolers who are experiencing doubt. They're walking through it themselves. Uh, what or how else do we practice from from Jude is this mercy, but how do we help someone experiencing doubt? What should we say? But I think more importantly, what should we not say? I think it's first important to remember, and if this is new news for you, then this is a really good foundation for you when you're walking through people's stories who are doubting. It's God alone that saves, and it's the Spirit of God alone that enlightens the soul and enlightens the mind and enlightens the heart, and it is the Word of God that always points us to the truth. That is so liberating for me because it's God alone that does it. And God in his kindness chooses to use me in people's life and use you in people's life to bring them towards that. But it's ultimately him that does it. And so I think it's less about what you say or what you don't say. And it's more about the patience and the slowness of being involved in people's stories. I think if you guys would have met me in middle school, you would have been like, there's no way this dude is going to come to know Jesus. There's no way this guy's ever going to give his whole life to Jesus and then, you know, have a family that's also like doing cool stuff for Jesus. No, there's 0% chance that you would look at that. And then if you stayed friends with me until my senior year of high school, you would prove to yourself, you'd be like, man, it is for sure a done deal. Aaron Ivey is not going to come to know Jesus, right? But if there was a, a way for you to embrace a slowness and a patience that God alone does it, I think you could walk with me through that and go, you know what? I'm just going to be patient. Yeah. I'm going to be present. I'm going to offer wisdom. I'm going to offer my experience. I'm going to tell him to read this thing or mm-hmm. go watch this thing. But I just love him enough to be patient enough to see God do it. Yeah. And I think that's huge for that's... people. Even right now, I have people in my life that are comfortable with the slowness of my sanctification. There's so many things that are not right 
uh, in my story yet. There are still sin patterns that I want to go back to. There are still temptations that I wished weren't a part of my story. But there are people that surround me, and they they embrace slowness. Yeah. And to know that, like, God stands above time, so he sees the whole thing perfectly. And so right now in 2020, even though I'm not, like, perfect, I'm not like Jesus. I'm not sinless. Yeah. There's a slowness of, oh, oh, but but Jesus is working. Man, that is so good, Aaron. I, I think the since I have failed in this area a lot with people because I've always wanted to be a person that people could come to for answers, especially in college, here's what I was saying. Three things don't do. Don't assume, don't project, and don't set deadlines. So, yeah, that's so, good, so, mm-hmm. so don't assume you know why they're doubting. I would do that all the time. I would assume, oh, it's this thing. Mm-hmm. Or they'd just give me one. Like, oh, no, no, it's that thing, you know? And so, I'm like, no, what you need is this verse, or what you need is this experience. What you, like, don't assume you know, because when I gave those four things of intellectual suffering, lifestyle, and pride, it's always all of them together. Yeah. They're always all intermixing together, and people are whole persons. And so it takes getting to know. So don't assume you know why they're doubting. Because it could be an intellectual argument, and then you find out their mom has cancer, and you just get why. Mm-hmm. It, it it could be that it's a the professor talking about the the reliability of the Bible, and then they tell you they have same sex attraction, and they don't know how to make sense of it. Right, right. Like it it could be it's always a thousand things. So don't assume you know. Two, don't project what your doubts are onto them. Don't don't project. Well, you're probably like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's called narcissism yeah. to a T. Yeah, is, like you're you. you're probably like me, and so I think that I I don't want to project onto you what my own things are because you're you. And so when I can don't assume and don't project, and like you were just saying, don't set deadlines. Yeah. Don't yeah. don't make it. I have two conversations worth of space for you, mm-hmm. and if it's not done by then, th- this this is why like uh, the disciples are the like t- us typified. Peter's like, should I forgive him like seven times? <laughs> because all of us have our little yeah, what's in, the in, limit? internal numbers of it's like good. three conversations. And if not, you're not a believer. Right. Mm-hmm. And you never will be. And you never will be. Mm-hmm. And we're done. Right. Well, I'm like, no, that's called you setting a deadline as if you're God of time and you're not. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to Aaron's point of God alone does this. So yeah. that, that's what I would say is don't assume, ask questions. Don't project, get to know them. And don't set deadlines. Trust God. And one of the things we've been talking about a lot is your doubts can't build a life for you to live on. So let let me just tell you an example. My last crisis of faith was in 2016-ish, and and I mean crisis in that I was genuinely every day wrestling with, can I trust God? And Mm -hmm. what did it for me was ISIS. It was reading stories about ISIS in the Middle East and what they were doing to women in particular. Mm I just couldn't. I, I literally could not quit thinking about it. I read New York Times articles about it every, mm-hmm. and I would read about it, and I was like, "How how can God let this happen? I, I don't understand how the Jesus that I know, kind, gentle, lowly, why would He let this happen? I mean, these guys are praying in this in ISIS. We're praying to before they would do these awful things to people, and I was having a real crisis of faith, and I was and I was actually reading Keller and it's about doubt your doubts kind of thing, and and I'm sitting there going, I had to ask the question of. Is, is, is the alternative explanation of this evil, per, does it have a life for me to, to – a foundation for me to live a life on? Mm-hmm. And so basically I'd look at these awful things happening and I was like, here are my two big options. Option one is God is good, he's in control, and I don't know why he's allowing this to happen. Option two, there's no such thing as good, right, bad, good because God doesn't exist. So this thing happening that's awful, it's not good or bad. It's just my brain firing – neurons saying, I don't like that. And I had to go, what's more likely? Is it more likely that those women have real value 
given to them by God, and this is awful happening to them, and I don't know why. Hmm. Or they have no value. This doesn't ultimately matter in any sort of cosmic sense. It's just an unfortunate thing. And I had to go, that second one was the thing I was putting my faith in. God can't be trusted. There can't be a God if this were to happen. So you're saying what's happening to them isn't wrong? Because there's no good or bad if there's no God. And it was this moment I had to go, it actually strengthened my faith to have to look at the alternative given to me and recognize how weak it is. It actually can't tell me where things like justice come from, where things like love come from, beauty. Love, beauty, and justice have no meaning if there's no God. Right. They're, they're just chemistry and atoms firing at certain, you know, temperatures basically. And that, I, I, it's fascinating for me is it was that personal experience of wrestling with evil in the world and evil that I've seen in my life and trying to understand, make sense of God. And I'm going, it doesn't give me all the answers. I still wish I knew why God allows such evil to happen. And one day he'll make it plain to me mm-hmm. and, I'll, and I'll understand more about what's going on. But also I, it made me have to realize the alternative given to me, no one's asking, does that hold up under any scrutiny though? And, I'm, and I just had to look at myself and go, it is more true to say I don't know why than to say that they don't have value because that's the alternative. Yeah. Is yeah. if there is no God, they have no value. Hmm. And, I'm, and in my mind, it is way more self-evident that they do. Right. That's why it's so awful. And that's why everybody knows. Absolutely. They know they have value. It's yep. so awful. I can't make sense of it. It's, but, then if you, but if I want to say my friends struggling with doubt, go, but the alternative that – that all your professors would give to you who want to question this stuff is that they don't. Does that make more sense to you that those women don't have value? I think most people would have to say, hmm. and they'll do gymnastics to, to, to explain why they have it without God. Right. But, and I think that's where ultimately all your horizontal problems eventually become vertical because you have to deal with God. Hmm. Eventually, yep. all of our interactions, I have to get to why would God allow such a right. thing. Right. And the Christian faith answer always is, I don't know, but Jesus has felt it. That's always the Christian answer. It's like, I don't know, but Jesus has suffered more. And of all the things God could have revealed himself to be, it's I'll suffer more and alongside of you. It's super powerful to think about how the disciples, after you know they received the Holy Spirit, that they were walking around preaching the gospel, doing these miraculous, incredible things on behalf of God. And the Pharisees and Sadducees are just looking at them. And it's like, they're just ordinary people. And sometimes I think that I need to be more intellectual, like learn all of the different arguments and really like try to be the smartest person in the room so that I can defend God. Mm. Yeah. That intellectual component is so huge because sometimes I think that I need to be way smarter than Peter, James, John, Paul in an intellectual way so that my faith would be so sturdy and foundational and like a rock. <laughs> yeah. But then you recognize that it's not by intellectual mm-hmm. intellectualism yeah. that you follow Jesus. It's by him giving you the simple but incredible gift of grace. Yep. Aaron, as we close, man, do you have any final words for our college students who are maybe listening, who are struggling with doubts, or have friends who are struggling with doubts? What would you say to them? Uh, I think I just want you to know that you have a church that is willing and ready and really excited to walk uh, through this season with you. You're not immature for asking questions. You're not wrong for asking questions. It actually shows a depth about you to wrestle through really hard things. And so I feel really 
privileged in this moment in history of all the moments in human history that God could put me and you guys in, that he would put us here in the city of Austin, Texas, with an absolute love for students at University of Texas and every campus represented here in the city of Austin. We feel really privileged to walk alongside you in this season of life. And so I think I just want to say, like, lean in. We're not afraid of your questions, and uh, we don't want you to be afraid to ask even the hardest things. And so you can always reach out to us. We're, we're just normal old people that, that struggle and wrestle too. So um, we just love the opportunity to help point you to Jesus and yeah. listen and show you patience and slowness like I had somebody show me when I was in college. Yeah. Amen. Come on, Pastor Aaron, thank you for joining us in a green room today, yeah, man. man. But dude, thanks for thanks for leading in a church that makes stories like mine like not unbearable, mm. but you're asking us to come alongside you guys as pastors of this church and walk with you guys through those doubts that I experienced that people who are listening experience and all of that. So Aaron, thanks for being here. And everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of The Green Room. Thank you for being our guest in The Green Room. Remember, if you want more vulnerable conversations, then share, like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at college underscore Austin Stone. See you next time.